Well, good morning again. Uh, great to be with you. We are continuing in our series this morning called Witness. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 44, uh, verse 1. And we'll pick up there in uh, a moment. Uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, uh, you know that we are currently finishing up a segment in our series, uh, which is all about studying the culture that we live in. Uh, as any missionary would. And so we've tried to answer the question through these last uh, four weeks or so, uh, what is post-Christian culture? What is secularism? Uh, where did those forces come from? Uh, and, and what ways has that uh, further pushed our culture uh, toward idols of individualism, uh, toward the idol of uh, religious-type uh, politics? Uh, where, where did a relativism and syncretism and pluralism come from? Uh, how do all of these forces present unique opportunities and unique obstacles uh, in this moment that we're living in? Uh, and all of this has kind of been an attempt to uh, get a snapshot uh, of this uh, moment that we're living through and how we might thrive as the church within it. Uh, and today I want to continue and conclude uh, this segment of the series by asking the simple question, where is all of this headed? We, we've kind of had this glimpse over the last month or so uh, of the forces uh, that have led us to this point, but where is it headed? What's next? Uh, where will our culture go from here? We'll pick up in Isaiah 44, verse 1. This is what he says. It says, but this is uh, God speaking uh, through Isaiah. It says, But now listen, Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says He who made you, he who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water. On the thirsty land and streams on the dry grounds. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Let's pray. Jesus, we recognize the reality of your spirit, Lord. Uh, we come to you this morning as people who uh, walk on some sense, on a, on a dry and thirsty ground. And, and it's, it feels, Lord, as if uh, the ground has, has only gotten drier as we look back over the last few decades. Uh, and, and yet we open Scripture, we see who you are, we see what you're capable of, um, and, and we come with expectation not based on the circumstances we see around us in culture, but on who you are, who you've promised to be. We come to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've examined uh, the cultural moment that we live in, in all honesty, it's left some of us feeling depressed. Uh, you look at the statistics on the number of churches closing every year. You look at the statistics on the number of marginal Christians walking away from their faith in our country every year, at the numbers of young people who uh, now are being raised in a generation in which they never had faith to begin with, 
or to walk away from. Uh, You look at Europe and how thoroughly secular it is, and we hear this cultural narrative which says, you're next. What happened to Europe will happen to you. This is a one-way street to a secular wasteland. The world will become increasingly secular. Faith cannot survive in our modern, skeptical, scientific age. It's time that we gave all that superstitious stuff up and just got on with the human project in the absence of religion. And yet, this narrative could not be further from reality. Multiple times over the last 300 years, secular culture in the West has predicted the end of the church. And yet, each time they've made this prediction, as the church has dwindled into crisis and come to the end of itself, it has been followed by renewal or revival several of which have rippled out and affected the world. And when you lift your gaze beyond the secular West and look at the world at large, what we see today is nothing short of miraculous. Though cultural elites have long predicted that the world would get less and less religious in the modern age, the opposite is actually true. The world has never been more Christian than it is right now today, and and the gospel message has never spread faster or farther than it is spreading right now today. In China alone, records are constantly being broken as the underground church has spread from a few thousand to an estimated 100 million and counting. And all of that is underground. It is one of the fastest disciple-making movements in all of world history. Many are arguing the fastest one in all of world history, and that's one country. Across the Muslim world, we are witnessing a truly miraculous grassroots movement as Jesus has been appearing to people in dreams and visions and calling them to himself. And Muslim leaders and even entire mosques are placing their faith in Jesus. After centuries of very little progress in the Muslim world, we are seeing by some estimates a million people a year place from the Muslim world place their faith in Jesus. Uh, With stunning underground movements unfolding in Iran and similar countries, all of this is happening uh, at the risk of arrest and execution. We've seen more Muslims come to faith in Jesus in the last few decades than in all prior centuries combined. Across the African continent, which has long been thought of as sort of a, a classic foreign mission field, Faith in Jesus has exploded, and in just 10 years, between 1990 and 2000, the number of disciples in Africa went from 9 million to 380 million. That's 42 times higher, or a 4,000% increase in just 10 years. 
which means that Africa now has more disciples than America has people. And it's continued to rise. As of today, it's estimated there are 500 million followers of Jesus and counting in Africa, causing many people to predict that Africa will become the center of world Christianity if it isn't already. But here's the bottom line. The Jesus movement has never spread faster than it is spreading today, and the world has never been more Christian by raw numbers or by percentages than it is right now. We are living in a truly miraculous time. But the question still remains, what will happen to the secular West? What will happen in, in our time, in our place, in our culture? Uh, what does our future have in store? And though we've been wading through a lot of heavy, sort of pessimistic uh, cultural analysis in the last few weeks, uh, I'd like to propose a radical idea, a, a counterintuitive expectation, a hope which does not seem to align with current trends or circumstance. What if God is preparing to renew the Western world? What if our secular experiment is failing? And what if, just as in centuries past, the secular culture is predicting the end of the church at the precise moment when God is preparing to move in power. Our secular experiment is failing. Our dream of a land of free-floating individuals who pursue pleasure without restraint is proving to be a nightmare. Our desire to throw off all tradition, all religion, all authority, and listen only to ourselves has left us lost. Satisfaction and happiness are plummeting. Anxiety and depression are through the roof, now dominating the majority of American lives. It, it is not well with our souls. Something is wrong within, within the worldview that we've inherited. We now live as isolated, anxious, dissatisfied, lonely consumers who are attempting to live out their lives without God. And as a result, we have no meaning and no purpose in the world. Uh, the secular dream, with all of its gravity, with all of its allure, has overpromised and underdelivered. It said we would have freedom. It has it has left us in bondage. It said we would be happy. Uh, instead, we are anxious. It told us that we would find ourselves. Instead, we only feel lost. It has taught us to tear down, to deconstruct everything but it never taught us how to build something new. And now, 
We are lost as a culture. And the proof is in the numbers. If you want someone to question their secular lives, you need only to ask, are you happy? Are you actually happy? Do you have joy? Do you have peace? Do you feel grounded? Or are you anxious, depressed, lonely, lost, dissatisfied? Is your life a heavy burden or a light one? Do you have purpose or do you lack purpose? Do you have hope for the future? What do you hope in? And very quickly, it exposes the the weaknesses of the worldview we've inherited. We've arrived at this place in the Western world where we have really nice stuff and no hope. We have really nice stuff and, and no purpose, no meaning, no identity. We live in a world in which we've torn everything down in our skepticism. We've deconstructed the world around us, and and now we have no structure, no tradition, no identity, nothing to ground us. Millions are just lost and adrift out in the cold. No direction, no meaning, no purpose beyond their own impulses and, and the chasing of pleasure. And yet, as the Western world uh, continues to decline, uh, both, both church and culture, the opportunity for revival is stunning in this moment. Because throughout history, it's been moments like these when revival comes, when renewal comes. If you go back and, and study that almost cyclical, cyclical pattern, of, of crash, of decrease, of crisis, and then rebirth. What you see is that renewal comes when the church gets to the end of itself. When we come to the end of our rope. And when we realize that, that trendy buildings and good coffee and great worship and, and culturally relevant sermons will never win the day. It will never be enough. It it will never win back the heart of the culture. We need the Spirit of God to move in power. We need a a God consciousness, an awareness of God to fall on our city, on our nation. We need a spirit of conviction, of repentance, of hunger for eternity, to fall on people who are just living for the here and now. What we need is a change in the atmosphere. What we need is a move of God that goes beyond all human effort, beyond all striving, that goes beyond all human strategy and human power. And as we look at the great revivals of the past, we can say very simply, Lord, would you do it again? Would you come and do again what you have done so many times before in the Western world? What is the future of the Western world? 
I am admittedly an optimist, but I see tremendous potential in, in, in the years and decades that lie ahead. I think that this moment that we're living in is a crucial one. Will we come to God in our weakness? Will we come to God at the end of ourselves? Asking Him to do again what He has done before. Or will we submit to the cultural narrative that says it's too late? Just give up. God is going to move either way. As we speak, you have disciples in Africa, in China, in Iran of all places, on fire for God, full of the Spirit, looking at the Western world and seeing its great need for the gospel. And in the years and decades to come, there will be people who come here from the nations. As missionaries, on mission, some of them carrying with them a white, hot faith in the resurrected Jesus. And, and they will come to remind the Western world of what it has forgotten. God will move either way. But what about us? Will we be there praying it in with faith and expectation? Will we be there to see God move in power? Will we live for the transformation, the renewal, the, the rebirth of faith in the Western world? In the 1950s, on a small island off the coast of Scotland, little known by the world, two elderly women came together to pray. They were uh, lamenting the fact that young people in their culture had all walked away from the faith, that young people in their culture uh, only cared about pleasure and entertainment. They thought nothing of God, nothing of eternity. They lamented the fact that attendance at their local church had dropped to zero adults on a Sunday. Not less people, zero. They lamented that the culture had turned to one of indifference and even opposition to the things of God. And so they prayed. Three times a week they prayed starting at 10 p.m. And, and going deep into the night till 2 a.m., till 3 a.m., 5 a.m. in the morning sometimes. Three times a week, two elderly women, both in their 80s, one of them stone blind, came together day after day, week after week, months were going by. And they prayed that faith would return. And what followed was one of the most remarkable revivals, I believe, in all of human history. The Spirit of God fell on that island in the Hebrides. 
everyone was immediately aware of the reality of the presence of God. The, the, the atmosphere changed. Thousands of people were saved and came to Christ. And most remarkably, the vast, vast majority of those people were saved in their homes, in their fields while they were working, in their shepherds, tending, uh, in, their, in their field, out tending sheep as shepherds. There was no one around. The Spirit of God fell on that place and thousands of people were brought to their knees, encountered the living God, gave their lives to Christ spontaneously. They were pouring into churches and prayer meetings, most of them already saved by just encountering the living God. His presence, His Spirit brought them remarkably into this place of of confession, of repentance, of hunger, of desiring God's mercy and salvation, hungering for eternity. The island was utterly transformed. Thousands of people came to Christ. The whole community was lit on fire for God. And many went out from there carrying that fire to Scotland, to England, to Africa, to America, all the way out to the ends of the earth. And tens of thousands more came to know Christ through them. For years, the Holy Spirit worked in astounding and miraculous ways beyond all human effort. No one could explain what was happening. But all of a sudden, a culture that was indifferent, even opposed, Uh, set against the things of God, was suddenly set on fire for him. Churches and prayer meetings were packed. The youth came to Christ in, in wave after wave, beautifully saved into the kingdom of God. Bars on the island literally shut down and never reopened. To this day, they're boarded up. Thousands of young people caught a deep passion for prayer. And, and, and set aside, mark their lives for the sake of the kingdom. No one could explain what was happening or why, but all of a sudden, in, in this time, place, and culture, it went from nothing to everything. When it seemed that all was lost, when it seemed that, that, that the church was dead, God moved in power. And and there was incredible surrender along the way. The the, the people, the followers of Jesus responded remarkably to this move of God. But the only thing we can truly trace it back to is two elderly women, one of them blind, who read these verses in Isaiah the prophet. Probably not the blind one, but the other one. It said this, Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And these two women read these verses and they said, Yes, Lord. 
We believe you. We believe that this is true of you. This is your promise that you will do these things. And you are a covenant-keeping God. We will stand on these verses. We will stand on this promise. For months, night after night, through the night, they prayed one promise. Isaiah 44, verses 2 and 3. God, you will pour out your Spirit on a dry and thirsty land. You will pour out your presence in this place. Come and fulfill your promises among us, Lord. You are a covenant-keeping God. And we believe that you are going to do it. Would you come now and meet with us? Let's pray. Lord, as we study, observe, participate in the culture around us, we, um, we find a hunger within ourselves for something more. And God, uh, many of us sitting in the room are wrestling with this cultural narrative that says it's a one-way street, that says it's too late, that says this, this is the end. You will not recover from this. And yet, Lord, as we um, look to history, and just as importantly, perhaps more importantly, as we look to you in this moment, we see an entirely new set of possibilities. We see a whole new world that is available. We see a kingdom of heaven waiting to break through into the darkness that we see around us. And so, Lord, we come to you in humility this morning and we empty ourselves before you. We pour down at your feet our doubts, our fears, our reservations. That nagging voice that says, it's too late. We, we pour it out at your feet, Lord, at the God of possibility. And we come to you empty. And we ask that you would fill us again. Would you give us the mind of Christ, Lord? Not the mind of the culture with its narratives, but would you give us the mind of Christ? Would you give us faith for what lies ahead? Lord, we recognize that if the miraculous is to happen in this time and this place and this culture, that your church needs to be full of faith, that your church needs to be full of your spirit, not bowing to the cultural idols of our day, but 
but just sold out for you, Lord, on fire for you. Um, And I just pray, Lord, that you would start with us. I don't think we can expect to see renewal in the culture if there's not renewal in the church. Uh, I don't think we can expect to see fire out there if there's not fire in here. And so we come to you now, Lord, humbled. Uh, Many of us, perhaps at the end of ourselves, we come to you in weakness, Lord, and we say it has to be you. Would you be the one to move in power in this place? Would you be the one to win back the culture? And may we be the ones who are there chasing after you, praying it in, rejoicing in what it is that you want to do. You're the one who calls things out of death and into life. You're the God of resurrection. Would you resurrect us now, Lord? Lord, I pray for those who uh, maybe like Carrie are um, just feeling lost, underground. Um, There's no sunlight. There's darkness. Uh, We don't sense your revival spirit within us. We we sense that um, maybe even depression. Lord, would you meet us this morning? Would, would you speak to those who are in that place? Would you, would you whisper to them? Speak to them by name, Lord. Speak to them about what's to come. Lord, I pray for your spirit of um, conviction, repentance, hunger to fall in this place to fall on us first? Would we just be hungry for more of you? Would we be hungry to be set right with you? I don't think we can expect the culture to hunger for that if we aren't hungry for that. So for those who are here this morning who um, maybe maybe aren't feeling like Carrie in depression, but are, are, are feeling just alienated from you, Um, our own sin, our own shortcoming, our own um, wrong thinking about ourselves and about you has left us feeling alienated. Lord, would you come? Would you touch? Would you pardon? Would you forgive? Would you heal? Would you cleanse? Would you restore? Would you set free? No one needs to walk out of this room feeling distant from you. No one needs to walk out of this room feeling alienated from you. And so as we seek you now, Lord, as we worship you, if there's anything that comes to our hearts, that comes to our minds, that that is driving a wedge between us, we just confess those things, Lord. We confess them to you. We give them to you. We repent of the things that are not of you. We come to you empty. We come to you in weakness. And we say, Lord, meet us in this place. And, And help us to believe for a better tomorrow. We wait on you now, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Protestant revival in the 16th century came to mind, and the motto 
of that revival was After Darkness Light. And um, there's been a lot going on this, this year in, in my own life. Um, on my birthday last January, the Lord gave me this phrase, rooted and grounded. And the first six months were so lonely. Like I remember looking at the landscape and just like, God, it's so desolate. It's so barren. Like, where's the faith? And I remember the Lord just saying, go deeper. Let the roots go down deeper. And you know with trees, when it's barren, they have to push through that desert and that broken ground to find the ever-flowing streams down underneath. And they also have to go down deep because when the rain of revival comes, they're not being washed away. They are solid oaks of righteousness planted by the streams of living God. And so I remember praying over the summer before uh, one of the worship mornings and um, we were talking about revival again. And I remember just sitting there and pondering this and like, I want revival, but even more, I want revival unto reformation where society, institutions, our culture makes much of Jesus. I don't want to be culturally relevant anymore. And that was the 16th century Protestant or revival was that it was revival unto reformation. And we saw the great awakening sweep across the Western world. And um, so I just thank you for sharing that. And then this morning, just looking at what God is doing in other nations. America is not the center of the universe as much as we think it's all about us or that God has to have the gospel go through us. But we can learn from the minority church, the brothers and sisters that have gone through years and centuries of oppression. And I really believe that if the evangelical church here can listen to their brothers and sisters because God is pouring out something amazing in Iran and in China and in Africa and even in South, South America. And so the last six months, I've been struggling with like, how do I love Americans well right now? Um, how do I love my family when we don't see things eye to eye? And the Lord was like, the Sermon on the Mount. Because if we want revival to sustain our love and courage, we have to make much of Jesus. And if Jesus said, the meek will inherit the earth, then that's what we have to go with. If he said to pray for those who persecute you, that's what we have to go with. If he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The peacemakers, that's what we go with. And so, I don't know, I just feel like this morning, um, even with like the election stuff, like everything has to point to Jesus. We have to make much of Jesus. And so I just wanna pray that out this morning. Lord, we just come to you and we're so thankful that you walk with us. You're still the one who walks among the, the lampstands, Lord. You're still faithful to your church in America and all across the nations, Lord. But we want to make 
much of you, Jesus. We don't want to be lackadaisical. We don't want to have apathetic and slow responses. Lord, we want tender hearts. We want to make much of you. We want to exalt you above everything else, Lord. So we just give you this time, and I just encourage you guys to stand up if you need to, if you want to kneel. Um, I just want to take this time to really press into the heart of Jesus and to lay things down, idols that we've had, um, disagreements we've had that we've just, he's able to refine us and to purify us because he will have a spotless bride and he's faithful to the end. Mm -hmm.